Hello and welcome to another episode of The Funds Download. I'm Phil Graham, Global Head of the Investment Funds and Regulatory Team here at Harneys. Uh, and I'm very delighted to be able to welcome Maggie Kwok onto our podcast today, who is head of our Asia Funds practice. Welcome, Maggie. Hello, Phil. How are you? I am doing fine. Fine, fine is very relative in, in the circumstances we all find ourselves in, but, but I am fine. Um, and I was going to say one of the pleasures of this COVID experience for me, um, have, having been sort of based in the UK for a large part of the period, has actually been how I've had that opportunity to walk closer and closer you know, with the Asia-based funds team, who have always had a really stellar reputation in the market. But the opportunity for me to really you know, speak to all of you and, and speak to you on a regular basis has been fantastic. And you know, I'm, I'm really excited to sort of give the listeners a flavor of everything you guys have got going on at the moment. That's very kind of you, Phil. Thanks very much. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to share with you all on um, what we are seeing here in Asia in the fund space. So fire away your questions, Phil. I'm very happy to, to share um, what I know, what we see and uh, how we can help in the space here in Asia. So with all that is going on right now, it'd be really fascinating to hear from you how your, your sort of team in Asia has reacted to the challenges of the world's most ludicrous year that is 2020. Well, it would be rather challenging for me to describe 2020 so far in my own words without making it sound like a cliche <laughs> just just when we're here in Hong Kong we're enjoying going back to a certain state of normality a third wave of COVID swept across the city so what this means is many of us are now back to working from home um, and all face-to-face meetings coffees lunches and drinks with clients have all been deferred so this inability to meet clients in person is perhaps the most challenging aspect for the team here in Asia, given much of our business is pretty much developed based on relationships that are built on real life interaction with people, as you can understand. And I'm not only referring to certain parts of Asia, but rather generally, including Hong Kong, PRC, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan, which is where the bulk of our business originates from. So in addition to hosting webinars and having catch-up meetings on Zoom, we have been reaching out to clients on WhatsApp and WeChat for example, and organizing online drinks even. There was also an opportunity to participate in a business partner's virtual yoga class um, the other week, uh, which which I unfortunately missed, but I think some of (laughs) um, the members of our team have participated in. (laughs) That's fantastic. I've admired the creativity both from our own internal teams and also the creativity of of other law firms um, that that we sort of work with. I got an art gallery tour from one client and I was like, "This this is fantastic. You know, they they found an art gallery that obviously currently isn't open and they had someone w- walk you through it uh, virtually. And it was a really good idea. It was a really good idea. So, so it's great to see people being so creative. The yoga, I can't imagine anything worse personally, but I think I think that is also a, 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 fantastic, <laughs> a fantastic idea. I really don't want that embarrassment. Well, um, that was why I, I, you know, didn't find time to participate in that class. <laughs> of course, you were, you, you were far too busy. I, I, I completely, completely understand <laughs> Um, I mean, the service providers, you know, al- alongside Harneys, I think in the region, the impression I've got is that everyone has reacted pretty well. I mean, we're enormously fortunate in the financial services industry as compared to so many other industries at the moment that we have all largely been able to do what we do in a remote sort of environment. And I think that's fantastic. But for sort of the fund managers that you work with, you know, how have they found it? Because it was fascinating chatting to Pia about the LATAM region and obviously accepting that so much is face to face and it's really 
important for people to have that. When managers in your region are sort of going out to, to try and find new investors and everything else, how have they adapted to this world? Um, we haven't really seen much of a knee-jerk reaction from them, partly because I guess no one really knew how to react, nor did anyone have sufficient time to react during Q1, particularly when PRLC-based managers and the service providers there were pretty much in full lockdown mode. By the lack of knee-jerk reactions, what I really mean is we haven't really seen a lot of GPLP disputes, um, discussions on stop funding relief or defaults or, or even amendments to, to some of the terms and, and key man provisions in the documents. So my guess is sponsors in general were at the time really just in um, anticipation mode. What did happen, however, was there was a clear drop in deal flow and also the inability to close transactions at the time, yeah. I guess, because investors were not able to conduct on-site due diligence. And yeah. also there were a lot of uncertainties in terms of the valuations. But interestingly, though, during that same period, there was a slight uptake in open-ended funds um, being formed, mainly mm. from Hong Kong and Japan-based managers. Now, these managers were at the time pushing quite hard for launches. They were fairly aggressive in order to take advantage of the secondary market volatility at the time. Yep. So that that was pretty much what we saw in Q1 here in Asia in general. Um, now, if we fast forward that to Q2 and, and even now, you know, we've, we've actually been seeing a solid pipeline of new fund launches, including those in real estate, pharmaceutical technology and even in infrastructure. Mm. Now, the Asian market in general have since gotten used to doing business and communicating online. Um, so this new state of normality, coupled with the support from many of our business partners in the region, have been, I guess, part of the equation of success for us. So we were very fortunate to have met and built some solid relationships with some of our clients and business partners from all the face-to-face -face meetings we have had in the past couple of years pre-COVID. Mm. And so the way we see it is we are now reaping the fruits of our hard work, which is incredibly timely during these very challenging times. Completely right. Obviously, I'm brutally aware of how hard, you know, all, all of you have worked for the last few years. And it's it's great to see that that has held up, you know, through these conditions. And when we started this podcast series back in March, you know, the first few were all around distressed fund situations, you know, and, and obviously speaking to our litigation colleagues about how that may play out with echoes of, of 2018, 2009. But like you, we haven't seen that. You know, it's been really interesting to see that it has been stable and there have been, you know, a lot, a lot of opportunities for people to jump into new new launches. So it's fascinating how everyone across all of our different regions is, is sort of saying the same thing. I mean, if it wasn't for, you know, the COVID and, and the personal situations, and then you throw in the sort of the global macro economy situation. What we've also thrown in, obviously, on, on the offshore side is a great degree of sort of regulatory change over the last few years. And even going back further than that, when you look at sort of FATCA and you look at CRS and then flowing into obviously economic substance last year and, and, and the private fund changes this year. Are you finding your conversations with your managers in that region, you know, are they at saturation point? Are they, are they just sort of saying, I can't take any more of this? Or are you finding that because managers are getting more and more institutional,
signal um, in, in the Asia region, actually they're able to take on this compliance function, they're, they're able to deal with it. How, how are you finding the reaction to it all? That's a very good question, Phil. So I guess when the whole regulatory rebooting mode started, you know, as offshore councils, there was probably a certain level of, um, we were, some of us were worried, to put it frankly, at yep. the time. But it hasn't really turned out that way, you know, when we look at the picture overall. So, well, yes, offshore in general has been in this regulatory rebooting mode in the past couple of years, but it is actually something great for jurisdictions like Cayman and BVI. So, for example, you know, the economic substance, the, the private funds, the private investment fund regimes, um, in particular, these are all providing additional surety and transparency for, for both investors and managers. And for the global and more established managers, this hasn't actually come as a surprise because they were already so used to being subject to what is considered the international standard. Agreed. How I'm seeing this, on the other hand, is this is more of a survival of the fittest situation where the less established and less seasoned managers are now in the process of being weeded out, particularly those that had already been operating around the survival line. Yeah. So I guess the next question would be, do we have options for those managers looking for alternatives? Yes, because, you know, whilst Cayman remain the market leader and it's going to, to be the case going forward, um, in my view, we have been educating certain Asia-based clients on certain BVI products. For example, when managers were revisiting the cost-benefit analysis of having a Cayman manager in structure last year after the Cayman economic substance law came into effect, we threw in the idea of considering the light touch BVI manager regime. And despite there being restrictions and us putting up a caveat in bold, it turned out to be an excellent temporary solution for, for those who have or who had pending Hong Kong SFC licensed applications. Yep. So, I mean, another example that I can think of is one which results from, from the upgrading of the Cayman Funds regulations in, in February this year. We now have have a good handful of clients inquiring about BVI fund structures because they are relatively cheaper, both in terms of setup and maintenance. And we already have a few of those clients giving us a green light to move ahead with BVI funds formation. So all in all, it has been, in my view, a win-win situation for the managers, the investors, us as a firm, which can obviously handle both jurisdictions out of our Asia offices and the Caribbean offices. It's also a win-win situation um, in terms of um, many of our business partners. I, I, I agree with you and I obviously have a slight bias that um, it is great <laughs> to hear that the BVI is sort of getting the traction and frankly getting the traction it deserves. Um, it is always squarely focused on trying to make it as approachable a jurisdiction as possible to, to obviously always meet international standards, but retain that cost effective nature, retain that regulatory flexibility where, where at all possible. I think it's really important to see, often people have, have described, you know, Cayman and BVI as being direct competitors. Um, I've never truly seen it like that, I have to say. I've, I've always thought they're actually pretty complementary of each other. And, and I think the changes this year have reinforced that view, is certainly in my mind, that, that actually for, for a manager of any size um, still looking to bring in an offshore structure, there are still options available to them. And, and, and certainly at Harney's, you know, we, we are actively able to guide them through that with an almost agnostic view, you know, in 
our view, we love to work with managers, big and small and wherever they are in the world. And what we will try to do is guide them towards the best jurisdiction for them. And then, you know, and that includes Luxembourg as well, obviously, for some managers, um, you know, Luxembourg is clearly the, the, the sort of the shiny star. And, and for those that are institutional grade, the ability to, to really get into Europe and use Lux based structures is also an attraction. I mean, have you, have you seen have you seen much on the Lux side as well to to sort of get a feel for how that's developing in the region? Um, Pre-COVID, we've had a handful of inquiries coming mostly from the larger PRC based managers looking yeah. to set up parallel structures involving Luxembourg. But I guess guess with the current situation, those have kind of dropped or, or tailed off um, for the time being. But, you know, we're hoping that once the situation or the economy improves, then that could also be something we'd be looking into very closely and working very closely with our Luxembourg team. And I think I think there's so much political instability everywhere in the world <laughs> at the moment, and you're very much included in that, that I think people are People are trying to adapt to that and sort of, I guess, play in jurisdictions they're more used to. At the moment, sort of branching out into, into, into Brave New World feels very bold. Um, and if, you know, the Asia region having so much access to capital there, you know, as it is, it kind of makes sense to, to continue down the, the, the same path for the time being. Absolutely. I mean, in terms of our huge value adders, the Asia team in Harneys, we've got such a sizable team. Um, and also, I always I always look down our, our partner list and, and look down, you know, the other people across our offices and think it's such a seasoned team as well. It's people that have been doing this for so many years and can confidently talk you through everything they saw back in 2008 and 2009 and, and the evolution of the industry since then. I mean, how important is it that, that you have that size that experience. I'm always so staggered, and this is this is a very pathetic English person who can only really speak English, but always so impressed by how many different languages all of your team can speak as well. How, how important is that to our sort of USP in the region? Oh, that is absolutely vital to the growth of our practice here, Phil. So, you know, the importance of localizing our team is, you know, absolutely vital because that's the only way that we can actually meet and interact with clients on the ground. Now, as part of our strategy, as you would know, we, we have taken on a number of seasoned funds lawyers and client directors who are, who are locals in Hong Kong, in the PRC, in Singapore and Japan. So the fact that we are able to communicate with our clients in their own language and also to understand local culture and etiquettes means that we have been able to grow our practice rapidly. We are the only offshore law firm with a team in the PRC. So yes, although many of us were able to travel to the PRC and already have numerous contacts and connections there, but having a physical office and team of lawyers there on the ground mean that we have been able to further spread out our footprints in China. Absolutely agree with that. And, 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 I've, and I've always been so impressed by the team in Shanghai, you know, and how quickly they, they sort of got going again, you know, through all of this year and, 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 and really have been sort of throwing out some, some really interesting projects and, and everything else. And um, I think it's a lovely part of, of what we do. In terms of any sort of final thoughts at your own, Maggie, in, in terms of the region and, and for people that are just listening to this podcast that really have a sort of running interest in both, I guess, Asia managers um, looking to access international other other parts of the world but also you know we, we've got a large US fund manager base looking to access the Asia market I mean any more thoughts just about 
about the region in general and, and sort of how it's developing and where it's going? In general, I would say, I mean, Cayman is going to remain the market leader going forward with BVI, which is more catered for a different segment of the market, as I mentioned earlier. And I'm not just saying this because we can tackle both jurisdictions. But worth mentioning also is there are a couple of local Asia products, namely the Singapore Face AC and Hong Kong Partnership Regime, um, which are in the mix and have been discussed extensively amongst managers and, and service providers here in the region. And there is no reason, there's absolutely no reason that they cannot coexist with Cayman and BVI, if you ask me. Just like in Japan, for example, where domestic fund vehicles there often appear in the structure together with Cayman. So again, we are looking at very different segments of the market. And whilst Cayman continue to dominate and resonate with the institutional players, you know, we, we welcome competition. It's healthy competition. And um, it just means that we, along with our business partners, can serve as managers and our clients in this region in a wider spectrum. Yes. And I think, you know, genuinely the experience that, that all of you have got and, and, and you've got personally being able to have new managers come into the door and really sit down with them and have very honest conversations about what would be the best structure for them, which includes a whole raft of different options, you know, is only a good thing for both our client base, but also for the region as a whole. And uh, it, it, it's fantastic to, you know, have taken the time to, to understand a little bit better from you. And, um, and, and th- thank you for joining me on this podcast. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Cool.